I'm Gerald, the streetcar driver. Welcome to the Hanukkah streetcar. Happy Hanukkah. <laughs> Happy Hanukkah. So when we were growing up, we didn't celebrate Hanukkah. The Jews in Little Rock all celebrated Christmas because that's when all their business was. And so we would, we had Christmas trees and we did all that. Now, all that has changed today. We did light Hanukkah candles. But we did, yes, in our home. And we did have Christmas trees, but there were rules about it. I think there was mutual respect for however anyone wanted to celebrate. Today on Arts and Letters, we'll be taking a tour through downtown Little Rock and its storied Jewish history as we climb aboard the Rock Region Metro Streetcar, which for this episode we've renamed the Hanukkah Trolley. Jewish history, downtown Little Rock, and the Hanukkah Trolley on Arts and Letters. From the studios of KUAR in Little Rock, I'm Jay Bradley Minnick, and welcome to Arts and Letters, a program providing opportunities for the celebration of the arts and humanities. Today, we'll all be hopping aboard the Hanukkah Trolley as we ride its rails and learn about Jewish history in Little Rock, its social clubs, department, shoe, jewelry, and music stores, and temples. And we'll celebrate the past and present with Jim Pfeiffer. Yeah, ULR does a great job in promoting the history of Little Rock. It's just fantastic. And archivist Shannon Lausch as our guides. Shannon, would you talk a little bit about where the trolley used to go? Uh, sure. Um, and actually, the electronic trolley system started in Little Rock 1991, and each car cost $3,300. And there was 30 uh, cars at that initial fleet. So at the beginning, it was in the core downtown area. But as Little Rock grew, what really encouraged development out west was a trolley line started going out west as well. And that especially encouraged the Pulaski Heights area to grow and develop. So let's board the Rock Region Metro Streetcar and hang on tight as we make our way through Little Rock's Jewish history and its colorful cast of characters on Arts and Letters. <laughs> Okay, so let me get let me get everybody's name real quick. Would you would you tell me your full name? Alan Tallheimer. And your full name? Mac Lyons. Jerry Jacobson. Trudy Jacobson. And Jim Pfeiffer. And I'm Gerald, the streetcar driver. Welcome to the Hanukkah Streetcar. There's a lot of stops along the way, a lot of uh, museums and uh, all kinds of different uh, historic markers and what have you, and a lot of businesses and uh, restaurants, so don't miss out on all that. Although a statistically small population, the Jewish community in Arkansas has a long and storied history. A two-story space, Concordia Hall, served as a social hall to help Jewish families adapt to Arkansas life. 
Concordia Hall. Established in 1864, the Concordia Association was one of the earliest social organizations in the state. The club provided valuable socializing opportunities for the Jewish community, since many social organizations barred Jews. All right, Jim, so uh, good to see you. Hey, thanks, uh, thanks. So would you tell us a little what you know about Concordia Hall? Gosh, that's where they had all the fun. Yeah? Yeah, it was a, a place where when the Jewish people came to America, they settled down here in the River Market area, and this was the place that they they socialized. They uh, had their parties after maybe uh, confirmation services. They also rented it out, and the whole community used it as well. So it was a, a really uh, fun, exciting, enjoyable place for the Jewish people to socialize. Right, and it's right where Stickies is now, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, they had fun then, and they have fun now, you know? Shannon, you've talked a little bit about the history of the architecture. Would you tell us a little bit about Concordia Hall? Uh, sure. So Concordia Hall moved from building to building, and uh, one of the buildings still standing today is now housing uh, uh, the Roberts Library. And what's distinct about that is it's three levels. Um, it used to be a two-story building, but the second floor was later converted and uh, turned into an additional story and there's iron studded stars to keep the building's integrity. Alright, and it's a place where we all party, so this is awesome. They talked about dancing. They did? They dances, yes. yes. So they went to dances? Yeah, that was the social life. There was always a stag line. I am told, and so it was really important that you got danced with a lot. The name came from the psalm, how beautiful and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in Concord. The club met in a variety of downtown locations during its 64-year-old existence. When Little Rock needed space for special events, including a visit from President Ulysses S. Grant, the city often turned to the Concordia Association for help. Providing this support enabled the Jewish community to fit into the wider social fabric of the city. However, in 1874, because of its elaborate meeting space, the Concordia Association attracted unwanted attention during the Brooks-Baxter War. The contested 1872 gubernatorial election sparked an armed conflict between supporters of Joseph Brooks and Alicia Baxter. Main Street Department Stores! Main Street Department Stores! We're going to talk a little bit about the Main Street department stores. And uh, so, um, Shannon, tell us just a little bit about early Main Street, what it was like. Uh, sure. Well, a lot of the Jewish immigrants came to Little Rock 
and they just had tiny storefronts, and that eventually blossomed into these huge department stores. So Main Street was a cultural uh, center of the city. And Jim, we know you have quite a relationship with uh, the Main Street department stores. Tell us what they were like. Well, I'll tell you a little bit, but we have the absolute expert here, Alan Tallhammer, who was actually a part of the downtown Main Street. Um, but, uh, but basically, um, the Jewish people in, in Europe were uh, limited to by the oppressive governments to the kinds of professions that they could engage in, and they became quite adept at, at just selling things. When they came to America, their opportunities exploded and they began these department store little stores which developed into huge department stores which you know were the forerunners for the Dillards and, and so forth. So but Alan Tallhammer actually ran those department stores so he'll be a good source. Main Street department stores. So Alan great to talk with you. So Tell us a little bit about the Main Street Department Stores. Well, the Main Street Department Stores, the three of them plus Kempner's at Pfeiffer, Glass, Combs plus Kempner's did most of the business for the city of Little Rock. In fact, 95%, I would guess, of all the retail in downtown Little Rock or Little Rock was done by those four stores. And they, most of them started back around 1900. And like I think you heard, they were immigrants, mostly, nearly all the early Jewish settlements were Germans. And uh, my grandfather and a man named Mr. Blass started Blass about 1890. And it was just a small little store, and then it grew into the major department store in Little Rock. Just Blass department store. Called the Dry Goods King and Merchant Prince, Gus Blass established one of the largest department stores in Little Rock. A German-Jewish immigrant, Blass founded the Gus Blass Dry Goods Company in 1871 when he arrived in Little Rock. Hosting extravagant parties to kick off an annual sales event, Blass aimed for an otherworldly ambiance. The parties drew comparisons to a fairyland, with lifelike wax female figures adorning the window displays, lush silks draping the walls, and ethereal lighting shining through the crowds. As many as 25,000 people gathered for these elaborate parties. When a fire destroyed Blass's store in the early 20th century, an undeterred Blass built a new building. Opened in 1913, the building stood seven stories high and was one of the largest buildings in Little Rock at the time. Later, it was the first Arkansas department store to have air conditioning and escalators. It was the largest store in uh, Arkansas by far, and people used to come from all over the state to shop in Little Rock. Uh, it was a major shopping center in those days, and a major banking center. Kempner's was a major shoe store. Yeah. 
very large, between 3rd and 4th on Main Street, very large store devoted completely to shoes. Several floors of it. Did you, did you get some of your shoes? Oh, yes, absolutely. I'd go with my mother, and all of her shoes came from Governor's. What I remember as a child is the way you paid. You gave them the money on the ground floor, and they put it in a little thing like you see at the bank now when you go shoot it inside, you know, and you can watch the thing. It would go up and around the building, up to the wherever the accounting department was, I guess, and then you'd have to wait, and it would come back with your change and your ticket. And it was just fascinating to me how that system worked. Brothers Shoe Store had an international reputation for quality. At one point, it had the highest sales volume in America for a shoe retailer. The founder, Ike Kempner, was an active leader in city development. Recognizing a need for more culture and entertainment in the city, Ike Kempner opened a theater in downtown Little Rock. The 1,500-seat Kempner Theater opened on September 20, 1910 in the 500 block of Louisiana Street. On its opening night, every woman received a rose. The opening play was Billy, a comedy about a football player with four false teeth, a fact that he's trying to conceal from the woman he's pursuing. When he misplaces his false teeth and refuses to speak out of shame, the woman fears that he's hiding a shady secret. Sadly, the Kempner Theater, later renamed Arkansas Theater, was demolished in 1997. You're listening to Arts and Letters, and we're aboard the Hanukkah Tron. Our next stop is coming up. Don't miss it. Pfeiffer Brothers Department Store. Pfeiffer Brothers Department Store occupied one of the oldest buildings left standing on Main Street today. Built in 1899, the building became home to the Pfeiffer Brothers in 1912. At its grand opening, the crowds were so dense that people had to wait in line to get inside. There was a Pfeiffer department store, right? right. And this was uh, established by some relatives. Yeah, um, there were two Pfeiffer brothers that came here be before the Civil War. And uh, one of them, my great-grandfather, started a boat store which sold to riverboats and his brother started a store that specialized in women's dresses. Well, guess what? Riverboats disappeared when the internal combustion engine was invented by, you know, and Henry Ford started sending cars here and trucks and so forth. So my great-grandfather was known as the poor side of the family, but his brother dealt in women's dresses which never went out of style, so they became the successful side of the family.
The company began as a struggling men's clothing store, but by 1914, the Pfeiffer Brothers department store had 27 departments and employed 300 people. In establishing the business, the Gazette reported that the Pfeiffers had little capital, but a mountain of pluck and determination. So, as a, as a kid, what was the department store like? Oh yeah, um, Pfeiffer's, Pfeiffer's apartment store specialized in bargain basement. I mean, they had a basement there, and people would flock there, you know, to get bargains. Um, the other stores were a little more upscale. M.M. Cone was sort of the Neiman Marcus of Little Rock, and, and uh, the Blast Department store was the biggest and the, 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 the very exciting. It had its own chocolate it made, and first escalator in Arkansas. Pfeiffer's, good for bargains. Pfeiffer's was the first among the department stores to have a bargain basement. The Arkansas Gazette remarked on the incredible rise of the Pfeiffer family. Joseph Pfeiffer, the founder, emigrated from Germany and arrived in America with an equivalent of $5. So tell us about Joseph Pfeiffer. Well, yeah, I mean, these guys, uh, you know, learned their trade in, in Germany. You know, they sold stuff off the street and got to America and the opportunities were just unlimited. And uh, they did well. They were also philanthropic folks. They supported all the important causes. They were you know, very generous in, in supporting a lot of civic improvements in, in the city. This was a wild west when they got here. I mean, this, it was crazy. Uh, there were gunfights. There was. You know, the Brooks-Baxter Rebellion, I mean, they determined who the governor of Arkansas was by shooting a cannon down Markham Street. Marvin, Maxie, Itzkowitz opened the iconic Maxie's Reliable Pawn Shop. A World War II veteran who served in the Air Force, Maxie was known for his crusty yet colorful demeanor. He was a former Golden Gloves boxing champion who was nicknamed Slapsy Maxie because he would slap opponents up beside the head and knock them out. Anybody remember uh, Maxie's Pawn Shop? Can you? All right. Well, this was back in, I guess, in the mid-50s. I was an executive at Blast. And the day before, two uh, African-Americans went into Woolworth to be served, and they were refused. And Little Rock was kind of in an uproar. The NAACP came to see us at Blast and wanted to know we had a tea room in those days, and would we accept two customers? And we said yes which we did and everything went okay. The next morning when I came to work, there were a whole bunch of rednecks and rabble out there with signs trying to block our front door. And I get, I had just gotten to my desk and I get a call from a good friend of mine, Maxie Itzkowitz, who had a pawn shop right down the street. 
and his youth, he was a fantastic prize fighter. And he said, Alan, those guys bothered you all? And I said, well, little, we hope the police can handle it. He said, why don't I come up and beat them all up? I said, Maxie, let's not do that. Maxie proved to be an asset time and time again to the Little Rock police, helping detectives in tracing stolen merchandise. Maxie grabbed customers' attention through constant advertising that he was going out of business, with signs bearing rhyming slogans, such as, Maxie will be through in 72, and over 40 years, I don't mean maybe, Maxie will be through in 1980. Well, Shannon, Maxie had some slogans, right? Right, he always had rhyming slogans because he always teased people that he was going out of business, which wasn't ever true. But that's how he liked to drum up business, and he was very playful with it, coming up with rhyming slogans all the time. So uh, reportedly he said if he ever stopped, he'd drop. And over the years, I don't mean maybe, all kinds of things. So he wouldn't care. Yeah. One of his last signs, after 40 years of hawking, Maxie will hit the chair and start rocking, rang true, with the store closing for real on April 28, 1988, reportedly saying that if he ever stopped, he'd drop. Maxie passed away just a year later, on November 4, 1989. Stiff's Jewelry Store, did you yeah, talk about it? Stiff's Jewelry Store was the jewelry store in downtown Little Rock's Jewish family. Mr. Stiff learned to do metalwork, made swords during the Civil War, and developed that into a jewelry business. Um, he was actually living in New Orleans and he got sick. He was on a train and got off the, the train in Little Rock. They nursed him back to health and he liked the people of Little Rock so much he, he decided to stay there and, and he started the jewelry business. And one day um, this old farmer rode up in, on a horseback uh, to the store and said, I found these funny looking things here out of my farm in Murfreesboro. Can you tell me what they were? And they were the Arkansas diamonds. And uh, so Mr. Stiff sent them to Tiffany's to double check and they confirmed that they were diamonds. And so he exhibited them for the first time to people of Arkansas in the windows of Stiff's jewelry store. Mr. Stiff ended up buying the, <laughs> buying the, the farm. I heard that story. That's great. That is great. <laughs> first time that uh, Elvis Presley records were ever available to people in Little Rock. His Jewish family started the record business here in, in Little Rock and your first television sets were available from there too. And they had little 45 players you could go in a booth and listen to Elvis Presley and it was packed in there. And, it was a great store. Moses Melody was... Um, and couldn't you go inside and listen to music in yeah. little booths? Little booths, yeah. right. Yeah. Wow. When does it close, do you know? Um, well, Mr. Moses passed away much too young, and so it probably went out of business uh, in the 
later 20th century, but during the mid 20th century, it was hopping. Congregation B'nai Israel opened in Little Rock in 1872. Previously relying on a rented room, the Jewish community finally had a freestanding temple. Yeah, there was a Center Street temple right next to the Tower Building, downtown Little Rock. It was kind of the very first one. Located on Center Street between 3rd and 4th Street, the building was two stories with a domed top. Beautiful old building. It's a bank building now. Synagogue. It was called a temple because the synagogue was the, the temple was the Reformed congregation, the synagogue was the Orthodox congregation. Inside, suspended from the ceiling, were 12 lights, with one red light which surrounded the altar. Twelve chandeliers hung from the center of the hall, which helped natural light illuminate the building throughout the day. And, you know, the, the first floor was uh, dedicated to religious worship, and the second to, it was a schoolhouse. Well, Sir, I was teaching Sunday school in the first year we were married, and uh, I told the class if they behaved themselves, we'd go across the street, and there was a little short order place and uh, ice cream and whatever. And so we did, and we went over there, and I don't know, I bought them all ice cream cones or something. When we got back to the temple, and Rabbi uh, had found out about it, he was not happy <laughs> that I had done that. And I didn't think anything was wrong with it, you know, and he, he laid down the law. That was my last year to teach Sundays. <laughs> it's a great story. Great. We went to Sunday school in Parnell Hall on the deaf school grounds. That's where our Sunday school was, where I went because it didn't have room for us on 5th and Broadway. And uh, so that was interesting times. These two men are over 90 years old. Wow. So you've seen everything down here. That's fantastic. In 1897, the temple moved to Broadway and Capitol Avenue. Today, the temple is located in West Little Rock. And so uh, the temple, the Reform Temple here, really wanted to open up to everyone. So the custom was really kind of reinvented in Little Rock in the later 20th century. We did light Hanukkah candles, but we did, yes, in our home. And we did have Christmas trees, but there were rules about it. You didn't have any, any manger scene, none of the religious parts. You didn't have an angel or a manger scene or a wreath on the door. So now uh, there's um, a mixture of everyone accepts each other for how they choose to celebrate the Jewish holidays. Some do it quite openly and excitedly, and others do it privately in their homes. Shandol dan nazabega. 
Broadcast from the studios of KUAR in Little Rock, you've been listening to Arts and Letters. Thanks for joining us. To check out past episodes, go to artsandlettersradio.org. Leave us a comment there and let us know what you've thought about the program. Thank you to Alan Talheimer, Mac Lyons, Jerry Jacobson, Trudy Jacobson for accompanying us on our tour. A special thanks to Jim Pfeiffer for organizing our remarkable crew and to Shannon Lausch for the historical research, the careful writing, and the narration. Thank you to Daniel Breen for recording the episode. Thank you to Joseph Fuller for the music, which is so full of light, and Clayton Aronowitz for the vocal performances. Thank you to Dr. Ezra Capel for the assistance in this production. Thank you to our conductor, Gerald the Streetcar Driver, for the inspiring ride. Thank you to the Rock Region Metro and Becca Green for all that you do and for organizing this trip. Thank you to Adam Simon of Simon Sound for helping to mix and for mastering the episode. Thank you to Sticky's Rock and Roll Chicken Shack for keeping music alive and well in Arkansas. Generous funding for Arts and Letters was provided by the Arkansas Humanities Council and the National Endowment for the Humanities. For Arts and Letters, I'm Jay Bradley Minnick. Let's heed the words of Mary Oliver. And just like that, like a simple neighborhood event, a miracle is taking place. Arts and Letters is a production of Living the Dream Media.